The views, opinions, and comments expressed by hosts, guests, and callers of this show are not necessarily those of this station, its parent company, TeleSouth Media, its staff, management, or advertisers. Content of this broadcast cannot be duplicated or used in any way without the express written consent of TeleSouth Media Incorporated. Now, join us for Advisors Roundtable with your hosts, certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus. It's professional advice for your life. Welcome to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus with you today. And our special guest is Jeffrey Dunham from Jeffrey. Uh, it's always good to have somebody from, from Dunham uh, coming into town. It's the first time Jeffrey has been to this part of the world. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. A number of things we want to talk to you about today. First of all, I always like to ask people this question when uh, I'm trying to have my listening audience get to know them and warm up to them. Why did you get in the investment business? Uh, You know, uh, your your background, your education, what turned you on in high school about or college? What about it? Funny you ask uh, that question, Greg, because I don't think you you don't know the answer to that. No, I don't. Um, And uh, uh, my father was a milkman and a a fireman, Mm -hmm. uh, each for about 15 years. My mother was an administrative assistant, um, neither college educated. um, And and they because he was a fireman, he had a lot of free time. So he uh, worked two days, 24 hour shifts. Um, and had five days off. And in that free time, he read a book uh, called uh, by Nick Nickerson that said, How I Turned $1,000 to a Million. The later edition was into three million in my spare time. Mm. And it was basically buying um, apartments that were in a good neighborhood, but they were dumpy, the, uh, needed fixing up and, uh, and, and rehabbing them. Mm-hmm. during his time off, during the five days he had off. So he did that. I saw how money could make money. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting concept. So at 15, I had saved up $3,000 from a paper route, and I went and bought, uh, used that as a down payment, got my dad to co-sign on a loan, and I bought a dumpy house with the weeds taller than I was and the fence laying in the in the yard. <laughs> And I pray, and I, instead of, uh, after I finished the baseball game on Saturday, I went and painted um, and uh, fixed up the house, rented it. And then I did a 1031 at 16. I did two more at 17. And I turned that 3,000 into 100,000 by the time I graduated from high school, uh, having done three 1031s. And so I thought, this is better than throwing newspapers. Yeah, so I got into the investment business, started in real estate, then went for a finance degree, mm-hmm. undergraduate and graduate down in San Diego. And I, I stayed in San Diego because it's not a bad place to live. Although right, right. walking around town with you and Bubba over the last <laughs> uh, couple of days, is a, I don't know, it's an awfully nice spot on earth. Right? It, it, we really are. We're very fortunate in this part of the world. And uh, actually, it's unseasonably cool uh, for uh, this time of the year here in Mississippi. So it's, it's great that you brought some of that San Diego weather with you. That's uh, very interesting, his story, isn't it, Bubba? It is. Because it's kind of similar to yours. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. kind of similar to mine. 
You know, got a, a little hankering for it in high school and did a few things on the side. And, you know, and next thing you know, you got the bug. Right. Yeah. Uh, and when you get the bug, then, uh, you, you know, you went on to, to school and, and, and got the degrees. Did you come out working for a brokerage firm? Is that how you got in this, this line of work? In my... Uh, senior year of college, I was an intern for a venture capital or what they now call private equity uh, company. Mm -hmm. um, that was a college senior class. Um, and so when I finished that uh, schooling that year, the fellow I worked for said, if you come on board with us um, and you, we want our venture capital activities should have a brokerage arm to it because mm. we're selling high-risk stuff to wealthy people, we might as well handle their muni bonds and their mutual funds and mm -hmm. their IRAs. Mm -hmm. If you'll come help us raise a million dollars of startup capital, because uh, we are, we do need startup capital to start a brokerage firm, we'll make you a 2% partner, um, and but you gotta go take the 24, the seven, um, <laughs> you gotta get the licenses, right. uh, the CFP, mm -hmm. and uh, if you'll do that, we'll, we'll make you a 2% equity partner in the firm. And I was 21. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So I did that for two years. And then I made the pitch about performance fees. And he thought that was stupid. Um, so <laughs> I left in 85 to go start my own. All right, so I'm going to come back to that performance fee thing in our next segment, but we got a couple minutes before uh, we bump up against this break, so I want to go back to something else that you, you said there. Um, you alluded to two or three different numbers, the 7, the 24. Uh, those are particular uh, securities exams, right? Correct. They would allow you to give advice right and, and supervise people who give advice make it legal for you to do that Correct. and and collect the money and, and put it in the right place and make the investments on behalf of somebody else uh that way you know you're not doing it as a loose cannon you actually have the authorization and and the oversight and the compliance and all those things so you got used to that early on that uh living in this regulated world i, I i'm not sure i'm I, 40 years later, I'm not sure I'm used to it yet, but let's just say that I'm numb to it. <laughs> Nature of the beast. And I think people who've never done this before, but they do have investable capital, need to understand that uh, you know we're not rogues. That, that we are regulated, and sometimes it, it is something you know we just have to deal with. But on the other hand, um, it, it, it's something that's there to protect people, right? Uh, that's what they tell me. Um, <laughs> it, it probably costs us, to get, put it in context, it probably cost us a million dollars a year mm -hmm. to just comply with the regulatory compliance that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive, and and yes, it the those regulators tell us and tell the public it's mm -hmm. you know that they're there to for the protection of the public, yeah. and so I get it, mm -hmm. right? I get it. Yeah, it, it is expensive on all, all firms, and uh, it's one of the reasons that you know you have to charge a fee to your clients. You you, you gotta 
pay <laughs> for for that. We're going to uh, take a break here at the Advisors Roundtable. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk with Jeffrey Dunham of Dunham Investments and get a little commercial about his firm and talk about this fulcrum fee paying based on performance thing here on the Advisors Roundtable, Super Talk Radio. Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners, Bubba Labus, and yours truly, Greg Cooley, with you here on Super Talk Radio. Today, our special guest is Jeffrey Dunham. Uh, Jeffrey, tell us a little bit about your firm, how large it is, how long you've been in business, what you guys actually do. And then I want to get to this fee thing you referred to in the first segment. Sure. Uh, 35 years we start, ago, we started uh, the investment firm. We also started a trust company 21 years ago. 77 employees, uh, 2.7 billion in assets that we run, um, 11,000 families. We work for 40,000 accounts. Mm. All right. Now, in order to run uh, $2.7 billion, uh, you do it through no-load mutual funds? Right. We have 14 uh, no-load mutual funds. Uh, five or six that focused on fixed income or bonds oriented things, um, seven or eight of them that focus on stock or equity oriented things, either domestically or internationally. So who manages uh, those funds? Do you have your own in-house uh, you know, group of managers and CFAs and that sort of thing, or do you outsource it? I've tried both. Um, when I originally started in the early 80s. Um, I thought I could be a good stock picker um, as well as a good client gatherer, good mm -hmm. listener. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that I really enjoyed uh, the client gathering experience and I wasn't very good at the stock picking side. <laughs> and if I, because I like to eat and I have six kids <laughs> who also like to eat, I decided I better focus on the, what I'm good at and uh, not what I'm not good at. So. 14 different money managers. Um, we evaluate, hire, and fire those money managers based upon how they do against indexes um, in the areas that they have expertise in. So that's basically a report card, right? They, they've got a, a benchmark or an index that you're judging them against, right? Right. And, that, and that's really what you want to measure the emerging market person against the other emerging market indexes and managers and right. the treasury bond manager against other treasury bond managers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the, and that's how that's how you should be hiring your money managers, in my opinion. All right. So how do you pay them? Well, most in our industry, as your audience may or may not know, uh, the standard way that 99-point-something percent of the world does it is they get paid a percentage of the principal. So they get paid 1% or 2% or a half a percent on the principal every quarter, every day, every month, no matter what, whether they made money or lost money against Bubba, those indexes that we were talking about whether they, they get paid for showing up, answering the phone, and attendance. Mm -hmm. In our scenario, uh, we don't do it that way. We're odd in the sense that we pay them, like Bubba uh, started down uh, the path of measuring them on how well they did versus that index, that they are the industry that they're competing in. So a very strange way to do it where we 
pay them based upon performance. And in the public mutual fund world, that term is known as a fulcrum fee. Okay. To a layman, it's payment for performance. Okay. So first question I have is how many money managers want to subject themselves to that when they can go to the next asset gatherer next door to you and get paid every year whether they make money or not, they get paid for attendance over there. You're going to make them pay or get paid based on performance. So how many money managers really want to do this? So when we started, there was zero um, <laughs> today, money managers doing it. Uh, today, there are a few people that will base a small portion, the minority part of their um, fees on performance. But I'm not aware of any other firm that has the majority of their money managers paid on a performance fee basis. Mm. Um, so in, in our case, we pay them all. 100% of the of funds that we run are on a performance fee basis. I'm not aware of any other firm that does such a thing. And, and so one question that I've got is uh, kind of following along with what Greg had here. Who, who of these firms or which of these firms would be willing to subject, subject themselves to this type of, of scenario or payment, right? And you, you said that, you know, they're, they're typically going to carve off a slice of whatever they're managing or they're going to do something special for Dunham. Is that accurate? Yeah. So, so the, the answer is, you know, what percentage of firms are interested in doing that? It, the, the truth is it's those who have confidence mm. in what they're mm -hmm. doing. Mm. Those who genuinely believe that over the long haul, forget this week, this month, this quarter, even this year, but they believe over the long haul, they're going to put the effort in and they can consistently outperform the index that we're measuring them against. And quite honestly, 70, 80% of the managers are willing to do that who have sustainable multi-decade records mm -hmm. um, so that they've been through good markets, they've been through bad markets, they've been through dot-com busts, they've been through financial meltdowns, they've been to, through virus or 9-11 attacks, and they, they, they have good downside risk management technique. They, they run a more concentrated portfolio generally, so they're not buying 500 stocks in the S&P. They're buying the 50 stocks that they have confidence about. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of money managers who are willing to do that um, because they believe that they can beat those indexes over the long run. So it, I, as Bubba, right, an individual investor, and I, and I say, I really like this. I, I think I'm going to go talk to one of these money managers, right? And I'm knocking on the door up in New York City or Philadelphia or wherever they're located. Are they going to open the door for me? Um, they will if you have nine-figure account they, that okay. you're willing. So whoa, if, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nine figures? Yeah, that, that's two commas. Um, so nine figures is like $100 million? Yes, sir. <laughs> right. I don't think I qualify yet. That's kind of where well, I was going but, with but that But Bubba, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Bubba does. Bubba does. <laughs> but, but, right. uh, he can he can be on the front as as we answer, uh, knock on the door. He, he his face can be there. I, I'll just sneak in behind. Right. Well, I, I, and I guess what I was getting to is is these are institutional quality money managers mm. that that the average investor would not have access to mm -hmm. otherwise mm -hmm. unless you go through one of these fund channels uh, like you have it at Dunham. A, a great point because the. You have when you shop at Costco and you buy 
ketchup in a five gallon or five uh, gallon drum uh, or mayonnaise or mustard or anything else, you're getting a better buy than if you're buying it at Circle K in a convenience store. And so when we go shopping, you as an, a, a purchaser of investment services, mm -hmm. and we, we have a, the ability to, if we hire that manager to, to put 100 million, 200 million, 300 million dollars in the account, we're gonna be able to negotiate a better deal. We know mm -hmm. the right questions to ask, mm -hmm. we know the right things to measure, we know when uh, you know the the BS meter uh, gets hit, mm -hmm. uh, and so we we know the right things to look for, and we have clout and negotiating ability. If you, as an individual investor, go into any one of name brand funds, you have zero ability right. to negotiate anything. Well, they're not even going to talk to me. They are correct. Is the short answer right? So if they would talk to him. It would be just dealing with him as an individual, so he's going to have to take whatever they have at whatever price they want to uh, deliver their good and service for. But because they're talking to you, and you're walking in with more money and, uh, and more experience and more knowledge of which questions, you're going to be able to get a, a better deal. We will. Right. We will. Which means that if I'm one of your investors, I get a better deal. You do. You do. Right. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So as you're going through this and you're talking to these various money managers and you want this guy to manage large cap growth or uh, emerging markets or whatever, um, how often do you have to fire one? Well, the answer is um, over the last 35 years, we've averaged probably one every 18 months. Mm. So sometimes we've changed a couple in a year. Sometimes we've changed none for two or three years. Um, some have been running money for us for mm, 20 or 25 years. Oh, really? Sure. And some of them uh, have been managing money for us for a year and a half so or, or, or less. So because we are not related to any of them, it's not as though personal relationships get in the way of good money management. Mm. So if, if Bubba was one of our money managers, which he's not, um, and he worked for our firm as an employee, and he had some tragedy going on in his life. Mm -hmm. Somebody had cancer, somebody had an accident, whatever the case might be, and, and, and his performance wasn't measuring up to par. Mm -hmm. It makes it a difficult conversation, because I like Bubba, mm -hmm. to say, Bubba, you're just not cutting the mustard, you're not doing your job for our 40,000 accounts. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, we're gonna have to let you go. We're gonna assign it to Lucy. Mm -hmm. um, that's a difficult, awkward conversation. But if Bubba knows that he was hired for that $100 million because, and he was gonna be measured against the XYZ index and he was gonna get paid mm -hmm. based upon his performance versus that index, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a black and white conversation. Mm -hmm. You're either delivering or you're not. Mm -hmm. And it's it because we're they're all independent because it's all arm's length, it you, you get a better product in the in the long run because of that. I think you do, Jeffrey. It's always good to have you uh, as is a, 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 a conversation. We get you on the phone or get to text with you, but it's great to have you uh, come to see us in Mississippi, and uh, we hope to do it again soon. I hope you'll invite me back. It's been a real pleasure to be here with you. We shall. We're going to take a break here at the Advisors Roundtable on Super Talk. Hang in there with us for the rest of the show. 
Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners Greg Cooley and Bubba Labas here with you on Super Talk Radio. Thanks a lot for listening, and thanks a lot to all of our valued sponsors who make uh, the Advisors Roundtable special possible every week right here on Super Talk Radio. Today, our special guest is Jeffrey Dunham. And uh, Jeffrey, we talked a little bit about money management. Let's talk about long-term money management, like yeah. uh, if I needed it for the long term. Let, let's say, for instance, that I did have that $100 million mm-hmm. and I could go knock on the door and, and have somebody manage my money. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've got more issues having $100 million than where to invest it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do I pass that on to heirs? How do I protect it? How do I do a number of things? Maybe minimize taxes. Minimize I mean, there's taxes, a lot of stuff. Yeah. So there's, there's a, a couple of issues that you want to be aware of. Really, if your net worth's over, over $10 million, you ought to be considering the things we're about to talk about. So today, if your net worth is... Everyone in America has... An 11.6, let's call it 11 and a half million dollar coupon in their pocket. They don't know that they have that. They're, most people don't use it until they're dead, but they can use it anytime they want. It's mm-hmm. called a unified credit. Um, it means you can use it at your death or during your life to pass along money to anyone you'd like. Um, could be the gardener, could be your neighbor, could be a child, um, it, anyone you'd like. Spouses can do an unlimited amount amongst each other, but and so combined, a husband and a wife has, let's say, 23 million. As an individual, you have 11 and a half. Mm-hmm. Once you get above that, whatever the unified credit amount is, and it changes every year, and with this election, um, there's a lot of talk about that going down, mm-hmm. but once you've used that unified credit amount up, Anything over that amount, you pay a 40% tax every generation um, that you pass along money. So to your point, if you had $100 million, we'll just do the simple math together. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you had $20 million exemption. There's $80 million left. $32 million, 40% of 80. $32 million is the check you owe to the government within nine months of the past uh, nine months of death. I don't know about you, but I don't want to write that check or have any of my heirs write say, that check. If I'm dead, I still don't want my daughters to write the check. Right. And for any of those listeners who don't have not written down a plan in a will or a trust, um, not to worry because the government has a plan for you. Mm-hmm. And, they, <laughs> and so it may or may not be the one you want. Uh, that hurts just hearing it. The government is here to help. The government has a plan. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't proactively write something down, mm-hmm. then that plan is going to be instituted. And so if you, if you care and want to protect, in our little example, that $32 million, if you care about that and you want not to have that go to the government, there are a variety of ways that you can set up trusts. Uh, many of the listeners probably have considered a revocable living trust, means you can change it anytime you want to. You can also set up, Bubba, an irrevocable trust. So it's the same word, except there's an IR in front Mm -hmm. of revocable, so irrevocable, which means you set it up, the beneficiaries can be the same, you, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, but you can set up these trusts in a way that allows you to transfer assets during your lifetime into this irrevocable trust 
all the appreciation that happens from that point of transfer forward happens inside of that irrevocable trust. And there are trusts that can live on for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. hundreds of years, and pay no estate tax. Because even though the current beneficiary, you, your wife, your kids, might pass because they're mortal, irrevocable trusts are, are immortal in certain states, like Nevada, as an example, where we set up ours. And I personally have one, and I have had one for 20 years, even though I don't live in Nevada. Mm -hmm. I've had an irrevocable trust uh, for 20 years. Uh, these live on for hundreds of years, so they benefit lineage that you'll never meet, and they avoid estate taxes in Nevada for 365 years. Bubba, why would you want to have an account that's going to live that long when you're dead? Give me two or three reasons that that would be attractive. I'm going to give you a quote from a television show that I used to watch, and it was Breaking Bad. You know, <laughs> the guy was the meth dealer and, you know, yeah. really good at his, his, at his trade, that oh, sort of thing, good. right? Yeah. Okay, so there was at, at one time in this show that, that, you know, they were talking about his business, and he said, I'm in the empire business, mm. right? So I think that everybody instinctively wants to leave a legacy of some sort. Mm. You know, leave the, the world in a better off place than what you found it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's true across, you know, many, many, many people. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you create that legacy that's going that, to that's gonna benefit a charity Mm -hmm. for a number of years mm -hmm. that's going to benefit the cancer society that's going to benefit your church going to be mm -hmm. benefit your family mm -hmm. for a number of years mm -hmm. what is that legacy that, that you want to leave and and i you know presently with current laws in the state mm -hmm. of mississippi you can do that uh you know for a certain lifetime plus 21 years okay if you do that elsewhere you can do it for hundreds of mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. so you know why be limited by by present laws mm -hmm. on how long you can be an influence on future generations okay why not go somewhere else where you can be a, an influence on those generations for centuries mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that's that's my it, long answer it, it's also nice to have a non-beneficiary as trustee mm -hmm. because they're a referee and have no stake in the game Many, many people leave their oldest child or their most educated child or their, all three of their children as co-trustees. Oftentimes that was done with, with the right idea in their heart mm. and it turns into a disaster because money then splits the family. Right. Because my son Henry thinks that he's smarter than John Burton. Mm -hmm. And he says, John Burton, you're just being mean to me. I want whatever distribution out of the trust. And then one of them's gonna run over and try to talk to Mary Margaret and right. get her on mm -hmm. his side and right. suddenly it becomes two against one. And you've one. got a division in the family, mm -hmm. which is the furthest thing that you would ever want to ha happen. Mm -hmm. That's exactly you know? right. And, and, and the, the children, they're not professionals in the tax and estate business. Right, right, right. Mark, Mark Twain said one time, you never get to know anybody until you have to share an inheritance with them, right? <laughs> yeah, you truly know them then. Yeah. yeah, especially that and the in-law that they sleep with. Right. So that, that's why not have experience. a referee? Yeah. It's yeah. also a wonderful asset protection uh, vehicle uh, because it's out of your estate. Uh, if the bad thing happens, Okay. Those assets are, are not attachable 
Okay. Because it's out of your estate. And if your child marries the wrong person, mm -hmm. I know that doesn't happen mm -hmm. in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, only half the time. <laughs> but if that were to occur, those assets are not attachable by the divorcing spouse uh -huh. because the child mm -hmm. doesn't own those assets. They're uh -huh. simply a beneficiary of those assets. So if you're a parent out there, and you don't have to be worth $20 million. You could be worth $2 million. But if you're a parent and you have maybe some children who aren't that great with money, Maybe you have an in-law that you're a little suspicious of what his or her intent is. Maybe you have a business. Maybe you want to protect some assets because maybe you have a child who's in a high-risk uh, profession. Uh, there are a number of reasons here to do this other than being somebody that's worth $100 million. You want to save $32 million in tax. Well, and, and that was going to be my next thing that I wanted to say is I don't think it's necessarily about the dollar amount. You know, it mm -hmm. could be $100 million. Mm -hmm. could be a million dollars. It could be $250,000, mm -hmm. right? Um, you've got certain levels uh, of, of assets that everybody will have, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, years and years and years ago, there were people that started off with $10,000 that they had as an, an investable asset mm -hmm. and managed properly. It's grown into millions and millions of dollars. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You're not necessarily, um, it's not an edict that whatever goes into the trust is going to stay that trust value. That's we right. hope it grows. Mm -hmm. So you put 250 grand in there, but you leave it in, leave it in there 30 or 40 years. <laughs> it and, it's, and it's not going to be subject, going full circle, mm -hmm. back to that 40% tax. That's right. Uh -huh. Because it doesn't die. Mm -hmm. It simply changes beneficiaries. There you go. Because when the death occurs, then that's when another estate has to be probated, which means another estate tax may have to, have to be paid. If it wasn't in the if trust. If it wasn't in the trust. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have a trust company, and it's, it's, it's domiciled in Nevada? Yeah, so it's, in, it's in Nevada. It's in Reno, Nevada. We uh, started that in 99, and we have five, bought five more trust companies uh, since starting that original one. Okay. All right. You have trust officers and attorneys and all that stuff. and Two dozen of them. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh. So I, I, you have lunch or dinner with those people. You got to few brains in the room and lawyers and CPAs and <laughs> there's just oozing brains right <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that can be fun yeah and, and, and I'm glad that uh, we have that as a resource that we can tap into and and thank you for uh, being here Jeffrey it's always uh, good to have some some more information brought to us on the advisors roundtable and that's really why we're here gonna take another break on the advisors roundtable super talk radio Greg and Bubba and see you on the other side of this break welcome back to the advisors roundtable certified financial planners Bubba Lewis and yours truly Greg Cooley with you you know uh, Bubba, I'm thinking about all the things we talked with Jeffrey about, and we talked about asset management and choosing asset managers and fees and trusts, and it sounds like life is complicated. Isn't you know, that complicated? You know, um, it can be. Um, and, and I would say that uh, in, in any aspect of, of one's career, it could be complicated if you don't understand it, no. right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that I've got the competence uh, that I, if I had chosen, I could have gone to medical school. Mm -hmm. 
And if I needed to take out Phil's gallbladder, I could have done that, right? <laughs> I could probably it watch it enough on YouTube, I could figure it out, right? <laughs> but I'd rather go to a doctor and yeah. let them do it. Yeah. Phil's, he's shaking his yeah. head over there, our executive producer. He's saying, yeah, 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 yeah Bubba. Go yeah. to somebody, and they say, well, you know... Uh-huh. You nervous? Well, yeah. me too. <laughs> we'll figure <laughs> yeah. it out, though. See no. you in there. No, he wants somebody who's done a few thousand. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And is that the point you're making about asset management and asset choices and taxes and trusts and wills and estates? So, yes, I am. Uh, and I think it's an, an important to understand that um, individuals have varying needs, yeah, we're all different. Everybody's different. Everybody has different amounts of investment dollars. Everybody has different goals that, that they have, right? Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't matter if you've got $100,000 or $10,000 to invest, and or, or maybe you've got a negative net worth, right? And you're listening to the Advisors Roundtable, and you heard Bubba and Greg and Jeffrey talk about $100 million. $100 million. That's another world to a lot of us. Right. So for some individuals, it's about getting back to basic blocking and tackling. Mm -hmm. Don't spend more than you make. Pay Mm -hmm. off your debt and start Mm -hmm. saving some money. Right. right? You think, I don't need a professional for Mm -hmm. that. Well, if you haven't done it on your own yet, you may need a professional Mm -hmm. to be a coach and a cheerleader. Yeah. Huh? On the other hand, maybe you've got those individuals who have worked hard all their life. They've got a, a, a great, robust business, mm-hmm. and they don't even realize it themselves, but you know they're worth $30 million, mm-hmm. $50 million, $100 million, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Mm-hmm. And you know, through determination and hard work, they've gotten to that point, mm-hmm. but they're still unsure of themselves because they've never really dealt with you know, all of the aspects of life that come along with that kind of responsibility I hear you. as they, well. They're running their business, but they're not an expert in taxes and estates Correct. and asset management. Correct. And all, okay. So I, what I'm saying is, is from somebody who's got a negative net worth mm-hmm. to a positive net worth of $100 million and above, mm-hmm. you know, there's a need there for, for financial advice, good counsel mm-hmm. uh, on behalf of attorneys and CPAs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would benefit them uh, and their families, mm-hmm. regardless of the amount of money that they've got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For for could be generations. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't gotten there, but you aspire to get mm-hmm. there, maybe you need to somebody somebody to help you do the roadmap. That's right. You know, I've never been to Vegas before. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil's been to Vegas twenty times. Tell me how to go to Vegas, Phil. Right. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a better experience if I mm-hmm. go along the route that he lays out for me. Sure. And if I want to get to be worth $10,000, and then I want to get to be worth $100,000, and then I want to become a millionaire, mm-hmm. and then I want to be a multimillionaire, let me ask you this question. We're doing this broadcast, and it's reaching three states, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Alabama. Right. Do you think there are people in that area that are worth $50 million? Absolutely there are. Absolutely. 
there and, and and many of the people who are listening to us, especially I, those I know a number of them, uh, those who have a negative net worth, mm-hmm. they're thinking Bubba and Greg are talking about people in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Why are they spending all that time in Mississippi, Tennessee, and Alabama yeah. on the airwaves talking about all this stuff? There's nobody like that around here. Mm-hmm. You probably go to church with a few. You probably do. And and again, because uh, these are salt of the earth individuals, very giving, hardworking, mm-hmm. and and started probably at at one point in their life like Jeffrey here did, mm-hmm. right? Throwing newspapers, right? Then bought right. a house, right? You know, then sold a couple of houses, and then went to college and got mm-hmm. into the investment world, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to, to work that way mm-hmm. and build a business mm-hmm. that could be worth $2 million, $5 million, $50 million mm-hmm. no, right I, here in your backyard. Right. And you, and you may know them, but have no idea what they're worth. Right. Or what their business is worth. Yeah. That, because most of them, as you said, are salt of the earth and mm-hmm. they're quiet about it. Right. You know, they, and really, sometimes you and I have meetings with folk, and they're they're pretty successful, mm-hmm. and we put up their net number on a on a television screen. You know, as we do presentations and talk to them yeah. and, and and work them through their annual review, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are like, "Is that me? Right? Do those numbers belong to me? I didn't realize mm-hmm. they were at that level." Because they've just had their head down blocking and tackling and right. doing what they've been mm-hmm. doing for the last 40 years. And, right. you know, they come in and you and I have the audacity to put it all together. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and there it is. And they're like, $6 million? Mm-hmm. $11 million? I don't know. Do you really think my Timberland's worth that much? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you really think my house is worth that much? That that. That place I bought on the lake, you know, I only mm-hmm. paid one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in nineteen seventy eight. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've renovated it two or three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably worth a million and a half now. Right. Do you really think so? I mean, they almost want to talk us out of it, don't they? They do. Mm-hmm. Most of them are not cocky about this, so therefore, the people on the street never see it, mm-hmm. never know it. You know, they're not driving around with a driver and they don't yeah. have an upstairs maid and a downstairs maid mm-hmm. and a, and a chauffeur and a butler. Yeah. You know? And so I, I think a good example is Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett is, is one of the, the greatest investors of all time and a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, he, he drives through the McDonald's, Mm-hmm. drive through every morning for breakfast and if the market's good yeah. then he may get a, a bacon egg and cheese if it's bad he's just getting a biscuit right <laughs> still still as a billionaire as a billionaire because he can't help himself it's just who he yeah. is mm-hmm. right yesterday was good in the market i think i'll have some bacon on that biscuit right mm-hmm. <laughs> as a 75 billionaire right this is just who he is mm-hmm. uh and really, if it's part of your fiber, you almost can't help it. How many people do you have that are, are hardworking people who, by the sweat of their brow, have and the and the goodness of God and and really good employees? You know, the, the whole democracy and American way uh, and capitalism thing. 
Uh, how many of them do you have to almost beg them to go on a vacation? Oh, it's it's surprising um, because to a degree they don't feel like they're worthy of it or they deserve it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very humble individuals, and and I it, it's it's truly I have to give them permission to spend money. Mm-hmm. I have to give them permission to go on a trip mm-hmm. to enjoy some of the fruits of their labor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they've they've kept their nose to the grindstone mm-hmm. so much and so often. And, and for this period in their life, for the last mm-hmm. 60 or 70 years they've yep. been doing it this way, mm-hmm. it's to become who they are. Yeah. Now, there are those other individuals who... <laughs> I know who, where you're going with this. Yeah, <laughs> who uh, maybe they got their, their money the hard way, they inherited it, mm-hmm. and sometimes I have to rein them in a little bit yeah. and say, look, you know, the, the, the rate at which you're spending money here is, mm-hmm. is not sustainable. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be able to maintain your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I have to get harsh with them and say, stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of us don't mm-hmm. like to hear that. They don't. We don't want any restrictions. Mm-hmm. But quite actually, the people who were were really successful are yeah. the people who could live with restrictions. One of my favorites discipline. One of my favorites is seeing a, a couple or an individual that retires right and they've been saving money all their life Mm -hmm. and then they go from this transition portion where they're saving money to spending some of the money or all of the money that they have right Mm -hmm. in retirement they're not earning any money Mm -hmm. but they've been so used and so accustomed to to saving money Mm -hmm. that as they begin receiving money from their investments they're still they're still saving money (laughs) you know squirreling a little bit away over here and it's just you know they, they could have 50% less income than what they did, you know, or or 100% of the income that they did, you know, when they were working. They make themselves live on it, don't they? And they make themselves live on it, and they're still going to save a little bit. Yeah, It's pretty awesome. I, I think uh, one of the things, uh, a couple of things I got out of our conversation with Jeffrey is that uh, at, at Dunham, they're really concentrated. Yeah, they're they're concentrated on keeping the fees low, keeping mm-hmm. the performance up, uh, hiring and firing people. I, I like to hear that from him. The other thing is, and the fact that they pay managers based uh, on performance—that's huh. exactly where I was a going. A novel I- idea and mm-hmm. something that they've shown uh, is proven and has worked over the last thirty-five years. Yeah. So the next time you meet with your money manager, ask them, "How do you get paid?" And would you think about being paid based on performance? See what they say. Hope we learned something here today at the Advisors Roundtable on Super Talk Radio. Discussion and content expressed by the host of the Advisors Roundtable are intended to be received as news, educational, and entertainment or unit items and are not to be accepted by the listener as legal, investment, insurance, or tax advice. Opinions and views will be expressed by guests of the Advisors Roundtable, and those opinions and views are those of the guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Advisors Roundtable host or any of its affiliated radio stations. All information provided is educational in nature and is not intended to be acted upon without first consulting the 
the appropriately licensed professional of your choosing. Before acting upon any information obtained during an advisor's roundtable broadcast, an individual should understand matters are extremely tax-specific and require advice tailored to individual facts and needs. Certified financial planners Greg Cooley and Andrew Labus are registered representatives of S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. Securities offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Ignite Planners, LLC. Ignite Planners, LLC is not affiliated with S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. 